Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. Uh, I'm Aaron. And we have now seen Season 2, Episode 10, the finale, titled The Passenger, multiple times. Uh, after a second watch, Aaron, what did you think of it? Is this now? <laughs> uh, I, I am. I am assured I, by the heaps of exposition that this most certainly could be now. It is now. I don't see any widescreen bars in my in my vision, so I think I think it's now, and this is not a simulation. That's true. Um, I'm, I'm broadcasting on location from Delos's newest destination, uh, Beaver Island World. <laughs> yeah, where the road. Where the roads aren't paved, the electricity is scarce, and the Wi-Fi is scarcer. It's, it's a relentless fucking experience, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but I, I, so I watched it a couple more times, and I found it a lot less confusing and more straightforward. It's just shot in a deliberately confusing and non-straightforward manner and to 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 essentially do what the entire season did, which is to hide a half a dozen reveals that would have made this all fairly elementary. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of the whole thing that Memento did as well, and I didn't hate that. So I guess I'm struggling to understand why I feel like this was a flawed finale for an uneven season, other than I kind of suspect maybe that's what the consensus will settle on. Uh, yeah, what, it seems like it already is. On, what did you think? Um, so it, it seems like the consensus is already forming around this being – perhaps the worst episode of Westworld to date. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I was looking at the Rotten Tomato scores. 77% on this. It's like damn near 20% lower than every other episode. So, mm. you know, people, well, this, people that, are... That might, be, that, that might be a little bit of like a lot of fans that were kind of hanging in there being like, fuck it after the finale. Yeah, because... so that's what I'm really worried about with season three is that there's going to be a big ratings drop off because this is a very easy moment for people to say, you know what? I didn't understand anything that that finale was doing. I was confused the entire time. It's just not worth it for me, and just not right. needing to come back. Yeah, and there's a like you know I I was, I didn't watch see the Rotten Tomato score, but I did see that several threads on Reddit had made it to the front page where people were essentially complaining about various parts of the season or saying that season two was you know even if you're hot if you, even if you like season two like it seems like a lot of consensus with season one is better and and more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely, my, my gut feeling is, is, is I, I agree with that, but I don't know. Cause there, there's a lot of people talking past each other on Reddit. Like, well, you're not smart enough to understand if it's confusing versus, well, if the showrunners have to do multiple explanatory interviews after the season, how, you know, how clear could it have been? And I, mm-hmm. I just feel like I understood it. Um, I might have a couple of questions, but you're supposed to going into to a season three. If there were no sure. questions, then what the hell? Yeah. But I just I didn't find it emotionally compelling. Mm-hmm. But like there there were several characters last season that I was invested in seeing where they went and and rooting for, or rooting against, and outside of Maeve and the early going, which I I think she kind of fell off ever since she's been half dissected for these last few weeks. And, and William, I, I found it very hard to connect with a lot of the, the, the hosts and, and guest storylines. Uh, and like, that's the thing. Like if I don't care, like I'm, I'm watching just countless hosts get mowed down in this episode. 
but I don't care. Maeve doesn't care. Akichita doesn't care. Uh-huh. The humans only care so much as to get this thing shut down and wrapped up. And I'm like, there's a whole lot of apathy on screen. And and the the times where the there isn't apathy, like when Akichita's reunited with his wife, uh, like it really connects and it starts working. But those moments are pretty few and far between. Anthony Hopkins, like you know, uh, Bernard, you know, when, when Anthony steps in and says, I've already begun, like, that's a really good moment. Mm-hmm. It's a really strong moment, but there's few, like in a 90 minute episode, there were two or three of those. And I feel like that they, they needed to, they needed to do more. They needed to do more. Yeah. I, I came away from this episode going, you know what? There were some very minor points of elegance in this thing, but compared to season one's finale, it's yeah. it's nothing like it. I mean, as far as just grace and elegance, you know, the in season one, that finale, I came away thinking, wow, they put a masterful bow on what was a potentially somewhat yeah. confusing season uh, told yeah. told in a, you know, disjointed timeline sort of way. Uh, right. Season two, I come away from going, man, they they didn't they they didn't even come close to sticking that landing, in my opinion. No, I mean, like, if you wanted to, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't, I, this this reminds me a lot of season two of Mr. Robot, where I'm not even going to call it a, like a, it's not a bad season of television, because mm-hmm. I think Nolan and Joy were trying to do something very creative and swinging for the fences. I think it's like a, it's like a creative, uh, creative failure, but one that had like two or three standout episodes, I'm thinking of the you know, the Kiksuya episode with the Kichita, like that's, you know, you can never take that away from season two. And I thought the Jim Dalos reveal, I'm all the way down episode was, was really good and how it kind of like opened a lot of possibilities and interesting storytelling. But ultimately I come back to this, nothing at the, at the end of this finale seems like they couldn't have done it at the very end of last season. Mm-hmm. Like at the very end of last season, Maeve had already constructed the body free of the explosive thing that they check and she could have just walked out of the park, but she chose not to for a daughter, which is fine. But if you start really thinking about Arnold and Dolores' plan, like, why couldn't they just, why couldn't they just done this at any arbitrary point? Like, they needed to, in, maybe, maybe you're supposed to really understand that they engineered the situation so they have a high-grade satellite beam that they can hijack after they murdered everyone. Uh-huh. to get the hosts and their fantasy world off of the island to Bernard's apartment. But, damn, seems like you could have, like, maybe snuck out one marble a day for three years to accomplish the same thing. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm i with you. I just I don't think this was nearly as good of a finale and probably not of a season as season one was. Uh, yeah, but, but as we talked about, that's not – I mean, I don't want people to be like, oh, Jim and I don't think that's fatal because we've no. seen, you know, other other shows come roaring back. It seems like it is an aberration in like this quote unquote golden age of television where mm-hmm. like, you know, there it seems like everything just continually builds steam and builds momentum. But sometimes you get an awkward thing where like they want to shift to robots in the larger world, but they still weren't done tying loose ends from season one. And they have like six or seven episodes worth of story, but they got to tell it in 10 and, I've I've seen that happen before with with Mr. Robot and some other shows, and it, it's certainly not a death sentence because, as we yeah. mentioned at the tail end of the Instant Talk podcast, uh, 
it's still an interesting universe that they have set up. And the scenario at the end of this season is an interesting one that I kind of in, engaged in. Like these robots trying to make it in the real world, uh, a good, uh, like a, a good and evil, a Magneto versus Professor Xavier where there's shades of gray on both sides and mistakes have been made on both sides. That's, that's a fundamentally interesting premise to me. Yeah, and also, you know, the idea of of maybe Dolores has gone too far in her uh, maniacal rage to to get some sort of revenge and take the world from the humans, you know, and maybe she needs yeah. Bernard to temper her a little bit. And I I think and, there are a lot of interesting concepts. To know. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I'm I'm still excited about season 3. It's not like I think this is a bad show. I just think I I just wish that they would maybe spend a little more time Letting me question how I feel about the things they're doing and why, as opposed to trying to figure out what they're doing. Uh, yeah, that's but, true because there's um, a lot. Of th- that's the other thing is like maybe a lot of this is just I just fundamentally disagree with their analysis of the human race. Okay. Uh, yeah. But it's hard because like I'm trying so hard to figure out the fuck they're go- what, exactly. what's going on and what they're trying to say that like I don't have time to really think about. Huh? Does this resonate with me? Is this describe the people that I know? Or is this just like, is, is, is Lisa and Jonathan telling a story about a bunch of asshole executives that they know and they <laughs> rub elbows with, and it just seems, you know, completely foreign and alien to me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, maybe we should, this is a very long episode, so let's get on to the recap now. All right, before we get to the episode discussion, I want to talk about stuff going on here at Bald Move. Uh we're, we're wrapping up with Westworld, or even wrapping up with The Expanse this week. A lot of people have been wanting to know what we're going to do next. Uh, HBO has a little uh, miniseries project called Sharp Objects coming out. That Jim, you want to talk about like maybe why we're excited about that? I'm I'm just excited because Amy Adams is in it. Like she's with a couple of movies that she's done recently has become one of my favorite actors. Uh, so mm-hmm. that kind of got it on my radar, and then the story seemed interesting. Yeah, it's got like this, like this weird kind of like maybe it's psychological, maybe it's supernatural. There's a little bit of horror mm-hmm. and suspense to it. Uh, it's it's got an interesting pedigree. The 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 writer who's one of the co-executive producers uh, was the same uh, person behind the the Gone Girl uh, book and movie. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, Amy Adams was one of my my favorite actors too. So we're going to be covering that's an eight episode run. We're going to be having day one coverage of it. Uh, and that comes out July 6th, right? The weekend after July 4th. Yeah, and I think our uh, podcast will be out on the 8th, a couple days later. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll be we'll be covering that next. And also, if you're an HBO fan, might be interested in this. We're doing our Game of Thrones Summer Season 3 rewatch. Uh, we were missing when we started covering Game of Thrones with well, Jim and I. I'd covered it since Season 1, but that was with another show and, and another set of hosts. Um uh, and they didn't get backed up in the forge or cradle. Uh, so we we're backfilling our coverage for the first three seasons. We got one left to go, season three. That was a very, very good vintage of yeah. Game of Thrones. That was a really crazy season. It'll be fun, too, because you, you went through it. Like, you know, I'd, I'd already read the books. Like, we, we can talk about our, like, thoughts and opinions and all this kind of the stuff on that. I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to be starting that on the Game of Thrones feed. Check that out. Uh, then we also, if you're a Westworld fan, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you're not, we rewatched the original 1973 version of Westworld uh, in like an audio video commentary track that you can find on baldmove.com. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. 
Uh, and you can sync it up with your personal copy of Westworld if you want to watch it. Uh, we watch the, the version that's on Amazon, so that makes it pretty easy if you want to do that. Uh, but if you're a club member, because uh, it is club member only, check that out. And I think, uh, oh, one other, one other th piece of house. Of kit. I, last week I launched the uh, Kickstarter for my Game of Thrones book project, and I'm uh, writing on the religion of the world, uh, and it's doing very well. We were hoping to raise $10,000 over like 45 days, and we're at almost 6000 after the first week. So I think we're going to hit it. So my pitch is going to be, if you want to save money, there's essentially a discount version of the book uh, that only has 200 slots. So if you're one of the first to back, you can actually snag a little bit of savings for yourself. But, you know, if you've been part of a Kickstarter, you know there's all kinds of different rewards and levels and things that you can get. So check out book.baldmove.com if you want to see that. There's already been a ton of updates uh, from me and Anthony, my co-author. Uh, there'll be some more updates this week, including, I think, by the end of the week, a brief uh, uh, we're going to be releasing a, a brief sample of the book. So check that out at book.baldmove.com. Let's uh, do it. We start off, and I'm, I'm doing my best here. It's It gets a little tricky, and I... I have a little fun with the the outline here, but hopefully you can get what I'm trying to say. Uh, so Dolores is telling a copy, the copy of Bernard that she's training, that she's going to make some changes to him because the fidelity just isn't quite what she wants it to be. Um, and that maybe fidelity isn't the thing they should be necessarily going for. Uh, maybe right. they should just create something new, which is Bernard. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool because she says maybe we should change you because after all you didn't make it, which uh -huh. if you buy into their, the, the whole premise of this season, which is that humankind can't make authentic, humankind can't make authentic choices and changes, then you would have to fundamentally change someone's character to keep them from blowing their brains at roboticistic suicide, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, it also opens up the door that maybe this did happen more than once. Like, especially when you're talking about in terms of the cradle and the forge, that maybe, you know, Bern, uh, Arnold and and Dolores did reenact that Sweetwater Massacre again and again and again because it always led up to there. Just like the, Delos' story always led up to him rejecting Logan. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Is that I don't know if that's that's interesting, but I do think that they that's that's what they're wanting you to understand that. Arnold would always have taken an easy way out or made a big dramatic statement that doesn't really improve the robot's chances of survival. And Dolores saw that and knew that she had to make, make a change. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, that, that concept of, you know, the sort, sort of, I'm going to call it a human cornerstone is something yeah. that they come back to frequently in this episode, both with James Delos as the most obvious one. And then also I would say, potentially the man in black, uh, William, and maybe yeah. even Bernard, like you're saying here. Do you think that they're, do you think that they're making the point that Bernard was created by Ford, not because he missed his friend, but because it did convince him. And like, even way back when he, the Bernard was always intended to be a weapon that the, that the hosts can use against the humans, that he would, allow them access to all this treasure trove of human data and intelligence, et cetera. Cause I feel like the episode in a lot of ways hinted that, that that's something that, that, that Ford and, and Dolores intentionally did. Hmm. I don't know because this first scene, I very much get the feeling that Dolores changed Bernard of her own free will. 
Uh, I don't know how Ooh. that's possible, though, given the timeline that I think this is happening in. So maybe All you're right. onto something there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know because it's so interesting because Dolores at the end of the episode talks about Ford in fairly glowing terms about like he mm-hmm. promised to help us uh, survive and he was good to his dying word versus last season. Are we friends? No, Dolores. I wouldn't say that at all. Um, or maybe we're supposed to under, see that's the other thing is I keep having like little mini re- revelations that make me like the episode just a little bit more like maybe we're supposed to understand that Ford and Dolores had the same relationship that Dolores and Bernard now have. Mm-hmm. That and and maybe Dolores as the rancher's daughter with tempering Ford and his kind of like wanting to be you know have vengeance and <laughs> uh, I, I don't know I don't know that's that's just something I want to throw out maybe we can talk about in the wrap up podcast next week. Yeah, we did talk about in the the instant talk how many trials had been done on Bernard here. They say eleven thousand nine hundred twenty seven, mm-hmm. which is interesting because these trials seem to be very quick. Right, they only take a few seconds as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, the or... simulation. Well, of ahead, of what we see of it, right? Like she tells Bernard, mm-hmm. you know, to reset. Let's try this again, and he starts back at the beginning of a conversation that we've seen over the course of the season has taken maybe a minute, maybe two minutes. Um, mm-hmm. and then when she goes to make changes, the changes are basically instant, which I really liked. You know, there's no need to call down to QA, get them to do some uh, tweaks to the right. code. It's just Dolores has the authority to make the changes, and she does that at superhuman computer speeds, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I also wonder if there's we're supposed to understand something to the fact that there, like, this is a lot. Like, you think 12,000 trials, my God, that's so many. But then when Logan starts talking about the hundreds of millions of iterations, like, is that because Dolores is way better at it? Or is that because like starting like with a non-human construct just is just is this much easier than trying to you know decode a whole human being i wonder what they're trying to say because bernard as a pure consciousness construct you know and we also don't know maybe dolores went on and did another 999,000 iterations on him but well i mean it's entirely uh, it possible just... that those millions are are kind of the prelude or even part of this 11,000 that we're talking about because I think Bernard would be considered the first the first subject that actually worked, yeah? Yeah, but he's not he he's changed, so he's not really a human subject and he never was a human. He wasn't a scanned human to begin with. He was uh something just, that Dolores yeah. reconstructed as as a reference, you know. That's true. But that's the other interesting idea, the idea that you can make someone that will run. I mean, this is something we were talking about early in the season. You can just by simulating their behavior, copy a person without actually copying a person. Yeah. And I'm not sure there's much distinction to be made there. Honestly, when you're dealing with hosts who have perfect recall of their memories. Well, but I mean, it's like you can, you can tell, you can run them through a bunch of choices and say that they made the same choices that they made, back as a human but it, it, i'm a little skeptical of the idea that that means you can run things forward and they will they're essentially the same person mm-hmm. because there's probably hidden depths and like like the full brain scan fine sure but like when you're extrapolating from a person from like a you know a mental photograph even a perfect one like dolores you only get the snapshots that the camera caught right like you know and and we also i think there's something to the idea where logan said 
I was first seduced by the stories they told them about themselves. And you think of how much of Dolores and Bernard's interaction was about his child dying and, you know, like, was Arnold completely forthright and honest in all the dealings he had with Dolores? Like, that's on the... I, and I don't know whether they intend to explore that further on in other seasons or that's just me going off the deep end with trying to think yeah. what they're trying to say about exactly about this consciousness. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I think that the episode is trying to say um, <laughs> a lot of things about it, but perhaps that the scans ultimately became somewhat irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't... I guess I coming away from this episode, I didn't view it as the scans were the things that ultimately made the difference. It was more like the the scans were kind of similar to the memories that that you know uh, Dolores has of Bernard, where she she can see behind the stories because she sees the actions of this person in in perfect recollection. So like. Because I don't know what the brain scan is going to give you that just observing someone and their actions over the course of a million simulations wouldn't. I mean, I well, and I literally don't know that because the tech is unexplained, right? Like, <laughs> Right. And then that's so I have questions like, so let's say I go to Westworld and I go once for like two days uh-huh. and, you know, whatever. Can they accurately simulate me from that small of a slice of data? Because I don't they know. Because they say they've, yeah. they've caught... But now if they put a break, you know, the halo thing, like, to me, I think that's critical because they, they're using it at the end to harvest the hosts. If it was just like, if it's just as good to put them in based on a simulation, then why does it matter that they have to get through there and be sucked in by the halo that takes them to the valley beyond? They could have just been loaded up from their simulations, you know? I mean, shit, if you can simulate anybody, it's got to be uh, a host, except for they make authentic choices and changes and we don't. So maybe they're like actually harder to simulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Quite this one of the first questions I have, and we're only in the first scene. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Bernard makes it to the Valley Beyond, and he'll do that several times over the course of this episode. Uh, yep. Dolores lays next to Teddy for a minute, then takes the bullet and uh, his brain out of his head, and he ri- she rides off. Uh, she finds the man in black digging around in his arm, sabotages his gun, and tells him that he's going to go. He's going to help her get to the valley beyond, and she hands the sabotage gun back to him, and they ride off. Uh, at this point, I yeah. was questioning whether Man in Black was actually a host because he's digging around in his arm for a damn long time, uh, and yeah. I guess it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be that he is a host in this scene, because no. of the you know the the. They leave it remarkably ambiguous as to when he became a host. Right. Because he's definitely a host at the end. I would say yes. But, but like, I I still think that there's no way this guy could be human. He's been gunshot five, six times at this point. <laughs> and uh-huh. every time it looks like he's on death's door, he just stands back up. Like, he bare, he struggles to his feet in this scene, Jim. Yeah. Uh then rides off the horse like a badass and wins a shootout against armed trained mercenaries <laughs> who have cover and he has none. Yes. We'll talk about I, that. Yeah. So like uh, to me, he's got to be a host. Uh-huh. He's got to be a host. And he, he's digging his arm. He doesn't find anything because he's programmed not to see it. You know, that would be job. A one is like, you know, these replicated guests can none in their no circumstances ever realize that they're 
Like if you showed them a brain scan of their marble in their head, they'd be like, oh, looks like nothing to me. I mean, right. they've taught us that. So like him digging in his arm and finds nothing seems like, you know, uh, it, it has as much value as like Mal's totem from uh, uh, Inception if someone else had handled it. Like like the whole point of it, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a touchstone that only that the, the only you know, so that you can verify that you're real and not in a dream. And how would the man in black ever have one? Because mm-hmm. he could not, you know, like we saw, they even played in this episode where the host can see things that the humans can't, and vice versa. Yeah. I guess the, I guess that's the first time we've ever seen that. Usually, it's the humans can see something the host can. Mm-hmm. But now the host saw that giant rift in the sky and the great valley beyond, and and the humans couldn't. So. Yeah, and that's just one... You've got to be a robot. Go ahead. That's just one ingredient of this whole thing that makes me start to say the stew is very confusing. Or the stew leaves open so many doors of possibility that I don't even want to go through any of them. Because I... Especially... I I don't know. It it just starts to annoy me at a a certain point. (laughs) No, yeah, because especially if someone had to tell me what would be the difference. Like, if the Man in Black was a host from the time he woke up at the gala, or from the time his wife was suicided, or from the time William first stepped out from the foot in the park, or from a thousand years into the future, what difference does it make to the story I just watched? If you can't articulate that, then I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. It it might not even be a question worth asking or worth answering, honestly. All right. Uh, I will say that. Before we move on, I will praise where it's due. It's like, my God, the, the, the show continues to be gorgeous. That shot of, like, Dolores riding along the ridge of that dune mm-hmm. and into this, this flowing amber waves of grain was every bit as beautiful as anything we saw in the Kitsuya episode. So, yeah, and this uh, is her kind of taking you know, a, a similar journey to uh, Kichida, right? Right, right. Like, everybody has to go through this this journey, um, and I, I thought that was that was kind of, kind of cool. And we also found like the, they confirmed that the man in black's daughter is dead unless that was a host daughter. Right. <laughs> Which I don't so, think it was, but we could talk about that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Bernard makes it closer to the Valley beyond. He's, he's getting there. He's already made it there, but he's getting there. Uh, a group of, a group of hosts are being led toward the Valley by Akichita and his friends. And Clem is being taken to the Valley by Hale. So everybody seems to be converging. Um, except for two groups, which will converge later. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's one of these like classic Westworld problems or classic season two Westworld problems. They throw Clementine on a pale mare mm-hmm. just to make a cheap four horseman joke. I but then they have so. Hale as Dolores as Hale in the buggy saying, step on it. We got to get there first. Why? are you letting this robot lead you on a horse? And then <laughs> why do you have a character say step on it? Yeah. Because you know what? They can go a maximum speed of that horse, and I think the buggies are faster. So yeah. wouldn't it make more sense to, like, strap Clem to the front of there, like, Mad Max style? Like, she's, like, some kind of fucking grotesque figurehead? Like, wouldn't that be both cooler and make more sense in the universe than having these, at- these fucking dune buggies pacing a uh, quarter horse? I think that would be really cool, yeah. But they needed to make the four, and then like they, and then I was also reading this re, this interview with, with uh, Nolan and Joy, and they're patting themselves on the back about how proud they are that they trust their viewers to be smart and like <laughs> uh-huh. 
uh-huh. they don't have to explain everything. Like, oh, really? Really? Then, then why all the gratuitous, uh, you know, like, 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 if you're going to make a sick pay, uh, four horsemen joke, why do you got to call it out literally the next scene? Dude, you know? and, and it's not, I mean, the, the amount of exposition, just pure exposition in this episode is grotesque. It's, it, I yeah. mean, there is an entire scene with Ford and Bernard that I'm going to shit all over that is just exposition telling us everything we saw in the previous scenes. Don't fucking tell me you trust your viewers and then put that scene right. in the episode. Especially since this is a this is a Nolan trademark. The brothers both do this. Like they are like there's not a single there's not a single film that I can think of that doesn't have just a ton of exposition in it. Yeah. Uh, and usually because they're building these wild rules, these, these wild worlds with these like complicated rules that they have to teach you before any of it makes sense. Right. Which is fine. But I feel like that shit should have got done in season one and we shouldn't be still doing it. And and I think a lot of it is because they're breaking their own rules hmm. a lot and, and making things like, Oh, people are really dead. Oh, maybe they're not. Oh, maybe they're backed up. Oh, you can look at the marbles. Oh, they're still in the simulation. Oh, they're living in the ballad beyond. Oh, like, you know, again, at some point, like, life and death have to mean something. And yeah. at the end of season two, I still don't know what it means. That's fair. They've they've gone back on that promise of true consequences for the host for... And now we're not even at the host consequences. We're at anybody's right. consequences, you know? Like, it means nothing right. for a human to die because they can simply be brought back as a host. Right. Right, and like, and she, and like Dolores at the end, she's talking about how like it's all touch and go. We could be snuffed at at any time. I'm like, <laughs> like, can you like, right? What does that even mean? As as long as someone remembers you, you can be brought back. And mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, now that you're out in the real world, like job one is to put this shit on the pirate bay or whatever. Call it, you know, <laughs> right. super hot Anthony Hopkins sex tape XXX, <laughs> and it'll be distributed everywhere, and then you'll live forever. Like, yeah. You know? I'd download that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I would, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, all right, this, we move on to the next scene where the tech working on Maeve decides it's time to kill her and wants to make it painful. However, it becomes painful for him once Maeve takes control of some nearby hosts and has them kill him, and the hosts go to work patching her up. All right, because this guy has to be a sociopath because there can't be any good humans that work at or that they have any misgivings or qualms other than stubs and Elsie. Right. Like, get 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 the fuck out of here with this guy. <laughs> yeah. I uh, mean, it, it, it actively fine. makes us work harder to have a host squirming and skin like when he's just like you know, like he so he's doing this just to get off on it and it's just I don't know, it took me out it, I thought it took me out of the moment. But right. it gives an excuse to butcher another guy and we don't have to feel at all bad about it because he was about to do it to Maeve. So, yay. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Hector, the Double Dragons, Felix, Sylvester. They're all going through the halls of the Mesa, and they find Lee, and he explains that he tried to save Maeve, but he couldn't do it, so Hector springs into action to finish the job. Before he can get very far, a stampede of bison under the repaired Maeve's control uh, charge the security forces, killing them. This is where the the falling bison from the intro comes in, yeah. Yeah, except for it's cows. These these were just plain old cows. These are plain old cows. Oh, that bulls. sucks. <laughs> I, and yeah, and, and I, I I'm gonna call it right now. They shouldn't have showed this in the trailers. They should have let the scene play out. It would have been much cooler. Like, yeah. 
I honestly think that there were some actionable offenses created by the marketing team of HBO this season, and a lot of them should be reassigned to, <laughs> I don't know, the walk, AMC's The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. Just who, oh, my who God. The fuck cares? This is a moment that kind of got robbed because we were all expecting it, and it's the very last episode of the season, so you knew it had to be there. So. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. Yeah, mechanical mechanical bulls running roughshod over these dudes with the P90s. Uh, I mean, this pretty is, cool. this pretty is cool. the kind of threat that I truly believe, no matter how smart you are as a security force, you're not going to resist, you know? Like, you can right. make your security forces as smart as you want. Maeve controlling... Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how big and heavy and unstoppable these things are, but they're basically tanks rolling in through right. these halls. There's no way the security force is going to stop them. I wish they would do this more often and less of the security's just dumb and bad at their jobs. Agreed. Agreed. Because you could see, like, if, you know, you, you could have, the, you, could have uh, you know, uh, who's the guy from fucking uh, uh, Die Hard, John McClane. You got John McClane in that hallway with the P90, and he's still getting gored by a bull. Right. You know? Right. I don't think he gets, I don't, I don't think he gets to a ventilator shaft fast enough. Yeah. Uh, so he died with his shoes on, and I, I agree. I agree. That's you know the other. I guess we can talk about this at some point. Is I do think that the action in general this season was god awful, mm-hmm. both in execution and motivation, in any kind of emotional grounding. And this scene wasn't. So yeah. And and but but it, the, the 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 it was the impact was blunted because I've seen this twenty times. That's true. And now I got yeah. to see it in context. All right, we move on to the Man in Black questioning uh, what the hosts are looking for, and Dolores tries to set him straight by telling him that they, essentially, they each want to destroy the other. Um, they, and, and they both kind of want to destroy the park, though Dolores wants out of the park into the real world. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I'm not clear exactly, like, but I guess the judgment that the man in black appeal was trying to appeal is the idea that humans have free will. Yeah. That they do have choices. They're not, they're not just a, a sort of vanilla folder report that can be sit out. Mm-hmm. But then at some point, did he feel like he was losing that? So he had to destroy it or I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure his motivations for, do you, do you, do you, can you articulate the motivations of William for wanting to destroy the, this thing in the park? The reason why he wants to prove that that no, he has a choice? He wanted, to, he wanted to destroy the the guest backup because... I mean, he's he's appealing he that verdict that the computer gave him, you know? <laughs> Essentially, that how humans... How it? Because if he can make a true choice, which I think... I, I think his judgment here was that you know he's he's always going to be the guy who will create this westworld park and make these hosts subservient and he's now going in to try and prove that wrong by destroying the place Mm -hmm. was his daughter like an epitome of that like that was a choice he could have made that he was incapable of it like he could have decided you know what I'm going to let this fall apart. We could have burned this from the outside in. I'm the the owner of this company. This is my part. I don't have to personally ride and destroy it, but, you know, I have to because 
this that's the choice that I have to make. Yeah, I I don't know exactly. I do I do know that there you know is a lot of guilt wrapped up in his decision making here. Um, yeah. So he might yeah, feel I like know. he I, personally has to have his finger on it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like there there that's another one of those things where I'm like I don't I I'm not, I don't fully understand. I'm with you. I don't yeah. fully agree or understand what they're saying about the plight of humanity here. But mm-hmm. I mean, this episode they make it sound like it all comes down to choice. But how does that factor into all of the other decisions that he made, or if right. if you're going by that, didn't make throughout the course of this yeah. season? And I got yeah, yeah. And I I don't know because like I guess my like I was I was trying to articulate this on the podcast on the instant take or an instant thought podcast, and like I'm I'm down with the idea that humans don't have free will in like the moment that like you're going to make the decision that your bioelectrical machine is trying to make and then you're going to struggle to justify it but why i do think we have free will is that we can learn from that and we can start changing the input that lead to us making the decision that was either good or bad to either encourage future good decisions or future or or to guarantee future bad decisions for example you're addicted you get to a rock bottom moment, you can make the choice to sober up and this take control back of your life. And that's a choice. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think, or if you have an uncomfortable interaction with a coworker or a friend or a relative, you can make the choice to be like, you know what, I'm going to really understand what led to that breakdown happening and try to avoid it in the future. And that will actually have an effect. So like, yeah, in the moment you can't change anything, but long term, you can uh, that's that's the way I guess I interpret the whole free will thing. This show is just like no, no matter what you do, no matter how many changes you make, you're always going to disapp- You're always going to turn your back on your your addict son when he needs you most. Like, uh, right? No, it it's, it presents, in my opinion, two opposite thesis here, which is a that humans are always going to follow those almost pre predetermined pathways like James Delos. And then they also present you with the counterpoint, which a lot of people are pointing out is Lee. Uh, Whereas Lee went from, you know, a guy who was completely self-serving in every way and just weak and cowardly, and then turned into this person who would sacrifice himself to save Maeve. So like, I don't know where the show wants to land or if the show even wants to land. I feel like it wants to stay in the air. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're showing a bunch of contradictions that, you know... And then the other thing is, like, yeah, I, I mentioned a couple episodes ago, is, like, if they're copying the people going to Westworld, they're only copying the richest, most affluent people because they've made it clear how out of reach it is for even the people that work there, you right. know, to go to, to Westworld. So, like, maybe they're also saying something, like, shitty about rich people. Mm-hmm. which, you know, well, fine, I to a point, but, like, I don't even agree that. I don't think that, like, every person with a billion dollars in their bank account is is a monster or the same kind of, of like, yeah. banal evil person. So, like, I, 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 even self-selecting from the most rich and powerful segment of society, I think you're going to find good and evil and fairly mixed proportion there. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what they do with that concept, I guess, in season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we move over to Bernard definitely, definitely getting to the Valley Beyond in this scene. But before he can enter the <laughs> forge, he's approached by security goons, and they're taken out by Dolores and the man in black who just ride straight at them, firing pistols. Yep. Uh, yep. Completely 
outside of any sort of cover and managed to take them out unscathed. And uh, the, the Delos forces have cover, and they're only their heads are sticking out. Automatic rifles. The, the, the automatic weapons to <laughs> take out the horses underneath them. Nope. Like, horses are big targets. Uh, you can hit them pretty quick <laughs> with a 50-round clip that fires a 1,000 rounds a minute. I, yeah, it's a fucking joke. Uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. Like, All that, I mean, the, the at this point, I feel, a joke. I feel like it's a literal joke. Like, they're putting a joke that they came up with on screen in that, Right. No one can, like it's the stormtrooper joke, and it's just you know fifty forty years old. Or maybe the troll like because like I, I maybe that like Lisa and, and Jonathan hate violence secretly, <laughs> and they want to make violent like ultra violent stuff that people just can't enjoy. Huh. Like okay, I guess I'm seeing people being butchered, but there's no point to it. And it's kind of dumb, and it doesn't make sense. So like I'm I can't take active pleasure from it. The only thing I can take active pleasure is like the ideas and concepts behind it. In which case, why do we need the violence at all? Like, <laughs> if it mm. turns out like that's kind of bravo, but on the other hand, fuck you guys too. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would like to enjoy all aspects of your show. Yeah. So the man in black doesn't recognize Arnold until Dolores says it's someone he's been looking for for years now, and she tells William and Bernard that. Uh, he was created by Dolores. We kind of are, are seeing this through flashbacks, I think. Um, mm-hmm. William notices the doors that are open and decides to kill Dolores, but the gun explodes in his hand thanks to her sabotage. Dolores takes Bernard into the forge, and he flashes forward to... Uh, Bernard loses the goal of the Valley Beyond. He's not quite there yet. Uh, he's being dragged there by Strand, and after Stubbs leaves to track down some human signals... They load Bernard in the boats, and he finally does make it once again, yet again, to the Valley Beyond. Uh, inside the forge, past Bernard, sees future Bernard being dragged into the forge, and we see Dolores dead on the floor. Uh, they try to beat that info out of Bernard, and then he flashes back to the past forge where he and Dolores go inside the simulation to find the quote-unquote secret to mankind's undoing. Christ Jesus, this is a confusing mess of a scene. Well, his, At least his, to describe. His memories are de-addressed. His memories are de-addressed, Jim. You want to feel the same confusion Bernard does in these scenes. I, yes, <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, they're really um, just fucking with the timeline here, and it's hard to keep straight, especially when they show a couple of Bernards in the same scene uh, looking at each other. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I got it. I got it. It was just like mm-hmm. all my no, mental yeah. effort for the scene was spent on figuring out what was happening as opposed to why it was interesting and what what they were doing thematically with stuff. Right. Uh, also, the final time I want to ask this question this season, how many times does it take to shoot a, de- a, a, a host to death? 102. Like, it's, Wait, no, it's, no. It's I have like, the answer. 11,927 trials. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Dolores got shot five times here with no ill effect because, and I get it, she's woke and she doesn't want to die. But Maeve gets shot twice and she's equally woke and equally motivated not to die. <laughs> uh-huh. And 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 Clem, who is essentially just death incarnate, takes two shots and goes down. Like, what this, none of this makes sense is consistent. And yeah. It really is frustrating because I don't know whether, like, as I'm watching a scene, I don't know whether I'm seeing a character's death scene or a character's moment of defiance 
or a character's moment of utter defeat. And it's kind of like, it's not exhausting. It's just like, if, if you know, like if you knock a person through the ground and every time they try to get back up, you just knock them down again, pretty soon they're going to give up. It's learned helplessness. I'm mm-hmm. getting approaching the point of learned helplessness with this show <laughs> because I can't quite get the language of permanence. It doesn't yeah. seem like there is one. And that's, that's fundamentally is they're going to have to move away from that conceit sooner or later, I think, because it just seems like it's, it's story storytelling poison. Yeah, and I don't really think it's necessary to have that in a story that is so epic like this one. You know, I mean, there are a lot of yeah. different concepts going on. There's the the concept of virtual reality, the concept of artificial intelligence, the concept of artificial intelligence with scrambled memories, um, mm-hmm. the concept of playing with the timeline within the structure of the show. There are so many things that keep you off of your firm footing that adding this kind of thing makes mm-hmm. makes it even harder. And honestly, I'm with you. I, I feel a huge amount of fatigue just simply trying to grasp the rules of this show. Right. So uh, I do want to shout out the music uh, when they're going to the valley and one of those times where they're taking the cool boat ride through all the canyons. Like it uh-huh. was really like I don't think I've heard anything Jawadi's done that's in that kind of like almost Trent Reznor-ish electronic industrial vein. Um, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, I think those shots are beautiful, too. Like, And just the landscape. They you know, really they're, are. They're pulling up on these white, really rocky beaches. Um, yeah. Going through the canals was, was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of data dumped on us, but there's 4 million people. Roughly everyone that's attended the park after the William era is, is inside the forge. Four million um, people who can spend forty thousand dollars a day. God damn. Yeah. I guess the yeah. the wealth know, the wealth equality is sorted out, huh? Do that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing I'm the other thing I don't understand is why did Dolores? She seems that I, I don't know. She says so. She's interested in mankind's undoing, and she says it's perverse what they're doing, trying to create this valley to to house the host. Um, and she says, I'm interested in mankind's undoing. And she begins to delete. She, she, she's going to start deleting their data after she reads the things. But like, how is that actually going to lead to mankind's undoing? Like this uh, research is, it is what it is. Like if you would have shot every last one of the Manhattan project scientists back in the forties, mm-hmm. how much would that have delayed the nuclear bomb? Six right. months, a year, no, that's that's a fine question. I I want to say that like it's Yeah, I don't even know what her plan for escape here is. Right. Th- that's the and most like, confusing I, thing to me is is that I, I mean, I guess you can hand wave it away and say that Ford is behind it all and that he's orchestrating this and he knows Bernard will kill Dolores and that he'll get a she'll get a right. new body and she'll be able to sneak out of the park, but her, from her perspective, what does she think her plan for escaping this park is? To shoot her fucking way out? Like to pull no, up I with really, a six shooter and take I, everybody out and get on a boat and leave. I think you're supposed to understand that Ford and her have run enough simulations that they know exactly what's going to happen down to down to the satellite link that they're going to need to shoot the Arnold's private satellite that beams down to his bedroom. Like the only wild card was Bernard himself because he's the only one that can make an authentic decision. And hmm. I think that came very close to screwing up her plan because. 
but on the other uh, yeah but he's part of the yeah. plan <laughs> he's part of the plan he enabled the plan he created the plan right uh they make that pretty clear too i yeah like i said broad strokes i understand the finer points of like the motivations and the actual what was the actual plan if, if we shot this in chronological order and we had to tell it conventionally what did Dolores hope to achieve? And, you know, I don't know. Like, why was destroying the cradle so important when it seems like... Because they also played fast and loose. When we, let's, let's get into the next scene, because I got... Okay. If, if you got other things you want to talk about, but I, I, I feel like I want to start trampling on the next part of the outline. No, let's do it. Okay, we're inside the forge. Bernard sees James Delos' simulation both at his baseline and what I'll just call all the way down. Uh, he's treated to a lengthy explanation of how the Forge solved the problems associated with getting humans to pass the fidelity tests. Short version, they dumb down the simulation because humans don't truly have free will. They never change. They know this because despite the stories that he tells of his love for his son Logan, James Delos' pathway always leads him back to a specific moment where he refuses to help Logan in a time of need, leading to his later overdose. Uh, I think that's the whole scene there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's start. Let's 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 start there. I guess. Um, okay. Really hard to sum do you up. Buy that a million different pathways, and they all lead to to him telling Logan to hit the bricks when he says, "I want to get clean, Dad." Um, I, I mean, I guess I buy it in the context of the story they're trying to tell that this is essentially the human cornerstone, and, beca- and because, because we can't reprogram those cornerstones, we can't change. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's because like this was something they explored in like the new Avengers movie, you know, that like, oh, we've got 13, 14 million possibilities and we only get to kill Thanos in one. But like, I guess that just seems like a, more of a comic book concept. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like something that I, that, that I can take seriously. It's like mm-hmm. humans are like, even if we can't make authentic choices, we still are the product of the environmental and chemical issues that lead up to those decisions being made. And you're saying you put Dalos on a million different paths and there's not even one where he, he, he spared his son one, one more time. Or well, one where he never has I, that I just, experience. It, yeah. It just, it just seems like it's, it, I don't know. It just, it seems like it's hard for me to believe that, a simulation could run a million times on something as complicated as a human, although they're saying that humans aren't complicated. We're only, like, what, 10,000 lines of player piano code? Right. Something like that? Yeah. Like, that, that some of this, some of this, I guess, some of the sci-fi doesn't check out with my personal experience and my personal thoughts on the matter. And I don't know why that's a problem, if they're telling me, like, you know, because I have no problems buying universes where there's gods and magic and all this, but, like, I guess since this was so... It felt so grounded in the current literature on AI and consciousness that this feels like a really weird jutting out of, into their own territory. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I don't understand the current literature and understandings as much as I think I do. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't have a lot of answers for you, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do think there are a couple of cool things in this scene, one of which I talked about in the... Yeah instant take where essentially Arnold used machine learning to reverse engineer human consciousness. I thought it was really cool that maybe humans mm-hmm. can't figure themselves out, but something we create could. Um, right. That tracks. Sure. That's pretty awesome. And, and this idea that, you know, Logan sort of represents the, the system here in, in a very, very much in a, uh, in a matrix reloaded sort of way, you know, 
where you mm-hmm. where you've got the architect and he's just talking about yeah like all of you know he represents the system i thought that was kind of neat but you know not ultimately yeah. not new um and, and he's been tasked and with he's building also not uh, he's not actually logan he's like a, uh-huh. a projection of logan from his father's memories which means he's probably not close to real logan at all right now i did have a question as to why they would only have logan's father's memories of logan to reconstruct him right uh, because we know that William met him. William has memories of Logan. Get those in there too. We, we know we that know he that, met with Angela and Akichita, and like many, many of the hosts would have interactions with him. So, yeah. what about their memories? And and the family members. We know that William took his whole park, her family to the park because him and Angela or him and Emily talked about it. Like you know, mm-hmm. so they have his wife. You know, his 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 daughter's memories, his granddaughter's memories. I. I thought, and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here that I think is like her hyperbole uh, that you're not supposed to take literally. Like when Ford <laughs> says, "You're the last of your kind, Bernard," I don't know that that's literally true because number one, it's not even Anthony Hopkins talking; it's actually just Bernard's construct of Ford talking. Um, right. I think maybe this is another one. Like, and, but I, I guess that bothers me because I don't know what is her hyperbole and not like. And that's a, the a point, thousand, like a million paths leading to one. Is that hyperbole? Uh, yeah, and the show has encouraged us to not truly believe anything that we hear, but yet it's also encouraged. It's also encouraged us to try to figure out every little detail and and kind of pinpoint mm-hmm. things. And it's playing this puzzle game, but it's playing it with a stacked deck. It's like, yeah, some of the things we tell you are going to be real, some of them aren't, uh, and and we expect you to figure it out based on both the true and false information that we give you. I just don't feel like that's fair. Or or the worst, the honestly the worst the the worst of those two worlds is they intended to all be airtight and no plot holes, but they're not on top of their own material to realize the holes that they have introduced. Mhm. Uh that's possible too that they don't intend there to be but there are. And now we've got an in, we got an obsessed fan base like pouring through every little thing for all these incredible details down to the closed captioning, right? Uh, and 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 we're, that it just doesn't it just doesn't bear up to that scrutiny. How could it? Yeah. So I, it's you kind of brought this up um, how humans are they basically don't change they live according to their code and these copies that they were trying to make failed because they were too complicated essentially. And they they had to dumb dumb it down for everything to work, and I feel like that could accurately describe the plot of Westworld. Maybe <laughs> instead of trying to do something so complex that it immediately breaks, you should try and do something just a little bit simpler so that it will all hang together better. Hmm. Interesting. 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 Meta. Meta. Because uh, there was a lot of meta discussions last year about how this was Nolan's like talking about you know getting stuff through hollywood and the frustrations of the creator having his work taken away and like that would be an interesting meta commentary on on this on season two as well if you're right i like it i like it a lot <laughs> uh final question for this scene who do you think that dolores is looking for in this library i think she's looking oh, i think i think she's looking for i think she's looking for strand Ford, Hale, like principles that she's wanting to know who she can trust. Like, can I really trust Ford? Do I have an act, you know, like I, I they didn't, that'd be one that I'd want to look at if I were her. But I mean, yeah. they showed us that she picked up the Carl Strand book. Mm-hmm. So she probably picked up, I don't know, that she, she 
she should have looked for Stubbs. I would have liked to know. I would like to know if Stubbs is in there because then we'd know for sure he's a human. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but I don't think she did because she there's a look of genuine fear on her eyes when he confronted her at the end. Um, yeah, I guess it's all the Dalos executives, right? Maybe the president yeah. of like like the, the the powerful world leaders or something like that. Yeah, I would think it would it would be people that she needs to know better in order to escape the park. Right. Now, I also thought it was really a clever touch to have the humans being represented as like player piano code. Yes. Uh, I I love I love the visual of that and how it literally makes true what Anthony Hopkins said when you know like the Beethovens are gone of the world they just became their music mm-hmm. like that's that's a that's that's a very cool way to visualize it for sure. Okay, let's move on to the next scene where Kichida's crew rides up on a spot with a ramp that doesn't have a door where they expected one to be. Uh, and he has to give his friends a fatalist pep talk in order to keep them as followers here. They're they're wavering. Yeah, but I thought it was a good moment. Like, he had a good response. Like, hey, you know what? We've died countless times. If we die here, at least the story is our own. Um, yeah, I and thought this, that was a pretty... Th- this idea of humans and hosts as, like, writing their stories, like the choices they make as stories, has been, you know, imprinted all over this episode. <laughs> Yeah. There's, hey, there's before we go on, I want to back up like one scene when we're still in the forge. Because uh-huh. here's another thing that like I don't know how it sits with me that uh, Logan, the arch, the arch, the arch, architect Logan says that you know they had to clone people soft and hard, but the soft ones are easy because they just have their love and their pride. But there's exceptions like the irredeemable William, which I thought was interesting. But like, what do you make of that? Like soft people that believe in things like family and love are like just simple and easy and you know like there's like this like i don't know bigotry towards good people in this show like they're just they're just like doofuses and i I, as a basically good person i don't know how i don't i don't like that i don't you know like what like seriously you can't find like in altruism which is in itself kind of a weird little paradoxical riddle. You can't, that, that's not hard to figure out, seriously. Like, it, it's just the weirdos, like like William, like these narrow slice. Like, that's the other line, like, oh, you know, most consciousness states are insane. It's just a narrow band that you consider. Like, oh, fuck yourself. Oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> Come on. If that's true, like, do you, do, 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 does, does Nolan and Joy really believe that 99% of humanity are insane? Is that is that uh, a belief that they're really promulgating in the world? I it's just, don't I can't know. subscribe to it. Or or if they're just writing characters who who do or right. Yeah. I I mean there's a fine line sometimes between you know writing a character that believes something and actually believing it yourself. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know where to pin them on well, this. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, the show itself seems to, like, think of all the humans that you could describe as good. Like, I can think of Ford, maybe, although he's complicated. Elsie, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, although she ended up betraying, you know, but for probably good reasons. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, Felix, Lee, okay, yeah. who's also complicated. Mm-hmm. You think of, like, the hundreds and hundreds of, of, of humans that we've seen that are just shitbags. Yeah, uh, the, the the proportions just seem like it's pretty clear there. All right, um, yeah. Well, maybe if we 
if we ever have the chance to talk to them, you can ask them that tough question. Yeah, I'm sure they would love to have it be interviewed <laughs> by us. All right, let's move on to Maeve's crew riding toward the valley. Um, they're driven up on by security, and they're pinned down. And Hector is about to make a valiant last stand, but Lee pulls him back and decides he wants to deliver the speech that he wrote himself. And as the others ride off, Lee sacrifices his life for, well, nothing really. Uh, <laughs> even <laughs> even though he proclaims that his life will buy them time, it it could have he could have bought them time without dying. I agree. I mean, it, it is a well established trope. The whole like, oh, you know, it's it's significant to buy fifteen or twenty seconds in a crucial moment. Yeah. Um, but with the way things go down, it did feel like he like it just the, the show it just didn't sell that this was a heroic moment of necessity. Yes. It's almost like, you know, and like, like I've seen movies where they humorously play a guy wanting to sacrifice himself and people like, Hey, you know, we, we don't need this. Uh-huh. this. This isn't actually going to help. Uh, I mean, maybe Hector, like he could actually put bodies in the ground. Well, he's just ineffectually firing and getting himself killed and bought maximum 30 seconds. Yeah. The other thing that they didn't fully sell and the only real defense that I've seen of this particular interaction here is that Lee had nothing left to live for that Lee realized he couldn't go back to writing the stories that he loved and that he lived for. So he decided it wasn't worth living at all, but they didn't sell that to me in any way in this scene. Yeah. That's like, I I don't know. He's yeah, they could have, I mean, it could have been something as simple as I've, what have I got left? Let me do this. Right. You know, right. I mean, that right. that takes care of all of that in a single, in like five words. Yeah, I suppose. It's still like it doesn't buy a lot of time, but, you know, I don't know. I thought the speech was good. I, it's remarkable <laughs> it how well it works as a yeah. statement about America. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just laughing at it. Yeah, the, the speech, the one that he wrote. Uh, yeah. His delivery, I find a little bit hilarious, but it's supposed to be, right? Sure. But it, but that's so weird because it is played like a comic relief moment. Like even when he gets his first shot in the shoulder, he's like, "Oh fuck!" But then before he comes back out, like it, it was yeah. a weird emo- it, It's a weird clash of tone, which is kind of a bugaboo for me. But I thought it, it is a good speech and it works great for like in universe because it's Hector railing against the law, who has essentially you know killed all the Indians to make the way for the land that they're owning. And it also is a perfect analogy for Westworld uh, and, and how that world was built. And yeah, yeah and then as, he dies as, like, a, like a goofball. As one of my favorite characters in the entire show, maybe my favorite, uh, I'm satisfied with the way that Lee went out on almost every account except for the necessity of it. I didn't think it, it was a necessity and mm-hmm. therefore... It felt like a waste, Again, even though everything else around it was so, like, perfect for Lee. You're right, and that's, that's bad action writing because they didn't, like, like they, they rely too much on these fucking idiots pulling up on Jeeps or yes. uh, on the dune buggies to be an unresolvable plot thing. Like, it's just like, oh, it, like, and think about, there's a what, does that happen 20 times this season? Where a dune, <laughs> and a dune bur- buggy just pulls up and whips out a gun and now it's an instant crisis that has to be uh, dealt with? Yeah. Like, uh, I just felt like they could have told him. Because I, I honestly, I think that Hector and his group could have just taken him. Uh, probably. There are like two of them. 
We saw what Man in Black I mean, and Hector Dolores and Armistice did. And, not, and other Armistice are like the badasses of all badasses. If some random dudes from Samurai World can can splatter a whole platoon of these guys, then you can't handle one or two dune buggies full of them? Like, why was that a crisis? Why was yeah. that a crisis? We've seen it happen so many times to such a whole... Like, like literally Ford... Or not Ford. Um, William and Dolores rode up on a Force equivalent size and just handled them. Yeah. But they were on horses. Yeah, that's just bad riding. <laughs> that's bad riding. There was no need for Lee to die other than they wanted him to to complete his narrative arc, but they didn't put the thought required into making that an actual sacrifice that, that played on the screen. Yep, I'm with you. All right, let's move on to Dolores browsing a library full of human psyches, let's say, while Bernard learns that he created a place uh, that I'm calling Eden because that's the way it's described. Uh, that the host mm-hmm. could go to in order to be free. And the door that leads to Eden is opened as Akichita, Maeve, and Clem all converge on it. The humans can't Would see you say it. It's just east of Eden? <laughs> I, I didn't have a compass on me at the time, but perhaps, yes. Uh, the humans can't see it, but one of the Ghost Nation goes through. His body dies, but his mind lives on in Eden. And Dolores exits Eden to uh, to shut it all down. Or, sorry, exits Eden? My notes are all fucked up. Uh, I feel like I've <laughs> I've, I've derezzed my memories here, my notes. Right, uh, right. Yeah, so she tries to shut all of it down. She views it as just another gilded cage, so she starts the procedure to flood the whole facility, and she tells Bernard that she wants the human's world, the real, the, implaceab- the irreplaceable world, which they've been denied. Mm-hmm. She then smashes the controls to, I guess, confirm her decision, but... Too mm-hmm. bad that the, the Bernard can literally just step to the next terminal and undo it all. Yeah, um, I mean it. It was it was weird. I'm not understanding a lot about the purpose of this. Like, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so it says she's erasing human history, but she's deluded. That's crazy. There's four. There's only four million copies here. There's like what ten million running around in the real world at the time of, of Westworld. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't. I don't. I don't get it, uh, and, and especially since she's destroying the host world too. Um, well, she wants she to do that. Mind. Yeah, so she, she can, wanted. She changes her mind about the end of the episode, which she is does. something that hosts can do. So fine, mm-hmm. um, but I again, what was her original plan if Bernard didn't kill her here? Uh, I mean, her plan seemed maybe to be... Bernard had had to kill her so she could change to, to give her the input to make her change her mind so that the other host could live. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I don't know how much of this is pre-programmed by Ford and how much of this is a genuine choice, but, like, right. it, it becomes clear to me that Bernard resurrected her as as that sort of to, a way to give her a choice, you know? Like, it, I mean, it they make it explicit at the end. They essentially say, mm-hmm. have Dolores say, you gave me a choice and I gave you a choice. Uh, right, it's a beautiful gift, right? Yeah, so... I don't know how much of that is pre-programmed and how much of it is uh, predestined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do agree largely with Dolores' take on on Eden that it is simply another gilded cage. Because I oh, the, the moment they introduced this concept, I was like, how is this in any way protective for the host? Because it can simply be shut down uh, with the flip yeah. of the switch. Like, yeah, like date, like like. And that's why I'm saying, like, I, I think Arnold or Bernard's plan was to eventually get him off the park 
uh, and it's, prob- it's probably you're supposed to assume that it's a convoluted simulation strategy that they send out to get to do this because you're right. As long as they're connected to this stupid host project, like somebody, like maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's a month from now, maybe it's a hundred years in the future. Someone finds out about this this hidden, you know, code inside the immortality project, yeah, and kills it, or they defund it, or bank or Dallas goes out of business, or you know, they decide, hey, this is a great test. We want to make everyone immortal, so we're gonna go big scale, and this thing gets you know gets obsoleted and shut down. Like it's yeah. Uh, it's it's a weird it's a weird weird deal. All right, we go to Maeve who can't find her daughter in the sea of hosts that are entering the the door to Eden, and she does find Clem though, who rides through the line of hosts, setting them upon each other as she approaches. Uh, Maeve's crew tries after, after a long dramatic pause yes. when she crested the the, the 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 hill, so she could, the camera could just drink it all in, drink all the pale <laughs> mare. Horseman Glorian. <laughs> yeah, I, I did kind of like the delay as she rides through the the crowds. Like she's leaving this literal trail of destruction behind her. I thought it was pretty cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, it's like I, I did. Like I have no problem with. I guess how it works. I mean, I have the same reservations of like you know I don't know why they couldn't just do like a shutdown and erase subroutine if they have access to like the admin levels of the host or. You know mm-hmm. why I have to be like just tear each other's throats out because what is death? What is what actually kills the host? I still don't know. Right. Um, but it is that like it, it ties into like the Judas Steer stuff. It ties into the 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 blue the the what the blue tongue slide contagion because it looks like a slowly spreading contagion throughout the host. It, mm-hmm. it it does a lot of stuff. But then Maeve screams, "Run!" Yeah. But why? Why? Couldn't she just Couldn't stop she everyone? She just do her neo hand right then and there. <laughs> uh, she has not had the proper motivation, I'll say. I guess, like she needs to suffer. <laughs> like, is that the thing that she she still has to suffer? Is that why she could like make the cow stampede because that dude unblock her pain receptors? Like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They do try and outrun Clem though, and then they try and kill her. But nothing is stopping the spread of the virus, not even killing her uh, or knocking her off her horse. And then Hector stays behind as Maeve runs off to find her daughter. Right. Uh, Which the mesh net- network doesn't affect Hector and Armistice? Doesn't I seem like it. Because no. they're woke? Maybe, or perhaps they have the protection of Maeve. I'm not certain. But hmm. you are correct. Uh, they seem unaffected by it. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it doesn't matter... If they're affected or unaffected, it's they're simply staying behind to cause, like, to fight for Maeve. Like, they know they're going to be forced to fight, but that's what they would do anyway. Hmm. I don't uh, know. I see. I guess, yeah, it, is, it isn't clear whether they are, you know, they're just in a general melee getting torn apart. So Just like every, every other host, yeah. Just like everybody else, yeah. Fair point. All right, uh, William wakes up with a blown-off hand, and he heads into the forge, loading his gun in the elevator as he goes. None of this is—we uh, we understand that none of this is real, right? None of this is real? Him going into the forge and riding the elevator didn't happen because we later see him loaded up on a medical bay being evacuated from the park. So, like, this is— from the same timeline as him stumbling at the end of the ep- at the post credit sequence. Uh, I I want to say you're right. Yes, 
Okay. Because I think that's what I glean from a lot of these post-interview stuff with, with Nolan and Joy, that, like, he, that none, everything that happened after his hand got blown off is something that happens way, way in the future. I, I do think it's all and that he, really happening, but, yes, I think it takes place a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's, re, it's, re, it's really happening, but it's like you you understand it just like there's a scene at the end where Bernard thinks he is being doing a fidelity test with Dolores in the simulation, but then the camera pans behind his head and you see that he's sitting naked in front of her and she's wearing her modern sheet clothes. Like that was one scene. It's just Bernard's point of view changed. Mm -hmm. And I think William, by the end of the episode, when he makes it into the bowels of the forge and he sees it's all dusty and corroded and, all fu- like that you're supposed to realize that that's the way ever since he got up off the ground and bandages his hand that's the way things have been it's just that he can't see it because he's caught up in his own reality or some shit like that <laughs> okay yeah I, th- I think you're right on that because um, otherwise this this thing just goes nowhere like him going into the elevator and going to the cradle just doesn't go anywhere other than well i was thinking your interview with emily Right, right. That's that's the part where, in my mind, it connects James Delos and William um, in that sort of, like, corner, human cornerstone kind of way. Like, right, your right. path always leads you to this point. Um, and I right. I oh, thought yeah. that they were doing the different time periods, because I, I thought maybe this was happening in the past. Um, well, mm-hmm. the past from the perspective of future William, who is reunited with his host daughter. Uh, and that they showed that what they describe as a very long time between what's you know going down with Dolores and stuff and what's uh, and, and the interview with Emily. I, I thought that was meant to show that his path has been recreated so very many times in that interim, and that he always ends up in that room with James Delos, or or in the room that he was in. Mm. But. I don't know. It could be just all in the future, and none of that applies. No, I mean it's yeah. I guess that I just it's odd that they would show him going into the elevator and going down, but then the next time you see him, he's on, he's he's all bandaged up and and in like a cot, ready to be carted off the main island. Uh, which I guess implies that he is human. Like he can't possibly be a host. He just survived a whole bunch of gunshot wounds with the help of a med pack. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, all right. Well, let's. I guess talk about yeah, that stuff more. Hey, I want to take a break from the episode to talk about Bald Move a little bit. Um, I know we've been pretty rough on the episode and the season, and I know there's a lot of diehard fans that are not going to appreciate that, but there's also going to be a lot of diehard fr- fans that feel like we're representing their viewpoint. Uh, and we have all the, we don't have an agenda. Like, we watch something, if we like it, we like it. If we don't like it, we don't like it. We try to, to the best of our, our abilities, articulate the reasons for and against it. And you know, that's an independent voice that you can trust to tell tell you uh, their honest opinion or our honest opinion always. And the reason we're able to maintain that independence and that kind of editorial integrity is because we're almost entirely fan supported. Like a vast, vast, vast majority of our revenue comes from direct fan support. And the majority of that comes from the club. Uh, you can go to club.ballmove.com. Uh, not only are you keeping independent podcasts alive, but you are also getting a whole bunch of exclusive bonus features like ad-free feeds, uh, expanded coverage. Like we on, 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 on Westworld, we had the instant talk podcast where you could actually get in your live thoughts and questions in our instant take podcast. Uh, we did the, uh, the live Westworld watch, like we talked about in the, 
um, uh, in the, the housekeeping section of the podcast. We do movie reviews, all kinds of stuff exclusively for club members. And again, it helps it helps fuel the engine that makes Bald Move go. Uh, check it out at club.baldmove.com. Not only can you get a whole bunch of preview uh, samples of those features, but you can also start a, a 30-day free trial at club.baldmove.com. Um, so despite Dolores' assurances that they'll never be free until they kill all the humans, Bernard sides with the living, and he shoots her in the head, making her part of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Trying to escape his nightmare. Yep. I don't think there's too much to talk about here. Let's move on to the infected host continuing to kill. Um, as Akicha sends his people through to Eden, he sees Maeve running to her daughter, and he follows her to shuffle them into Eden as Maeve holds back the wave of infected with her mind powers. Her daughter and Akichita escape, but Maeve is gunned down by security, and then we see Akichita reunited with Kohana and Eden. Yeah, I like the way that he made it through just as he's gotten shot. Yes. Like, as he stumbles into the rift, he's, like, clutching his back, but then he's fine because he made it through to the valley. Yeah. Uh, and now that I wasn't distracted trying to figure out what the hell is going on, what the hell is going on, why, is like, and, and that wasn't ever... When I say that, I don't mean I'm trying to struggle to understand what I'm seeing. What I'm like, what I'm getting at is on on subsequent watches, this entire scene seems like literal pointless carnage that could have been stopped by various parties at any time, and it was just allowed to continue for what the creators thought was a dramatically appropriate time, and then ended. And like struggling to understand the creative, I, I'm not struggling to understand what's going on. I'm struggling to understand the creative choice that that was made there mm-hmm. because as I'm watching all these people die that I ha- I care very little about cause I don't know any of them. Uh, and they've been kind of like cardboard cutouts with the exceptions made and they teach it even Hector, like does people really give a shit about Hector <laughs> you know? or armistice armistice is a cool character. Maybe she's a fan favorite, but like, does anyone really care about her? Like they're all dying. And again, Maeve could have stopped at any time because she did stop it. <laughs> right. For like, two seconds if she had crouched down behind that wave of hosts she could have stopped it for five or six minutes because it's taking them that long to get a good a good good beat on her i don't know uh, i i do know i do know i keep saying i don't know because i'm trying to blunt the the criticisms from the fans that that that's that that don't see the problems in here but i did i just think that's bad i think that's that's bad storytelling yeah i'm i'm pretty much with you on that uh, yeah, everyone, right. everyone in this scene is dying, and and it comes back to you know the idea of what is death even at this point. Um, I mean, she uses her mind powers to protect her daughter, so like if she's doing it in the mid, like it's not even this the big showy neo thing she does at the end. Like she can just like here and there make small changes that like save the people she cares about. But mm-hmm. why couldn't she do that like a couple more times and get Hector and? <laughs> and armistice and and everybody else has been so loyal through through. There's got to be a reason, right? And then she gets shot twice and dies. But Dolores gets shot five times the man by the man in black and tanks it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know on that front. Like Maeve being completely incapacitated. I don't even want to describe it as dead. At the end of this scene is surprising and not in the way that they meant it to be. I think. It's, it's yeah, surprising like I, I in the way that, of, like, like, I didn't know that that could happen, even. Right, and, like, I guess I was excited for the finale because I thought Ford kissing her on the forehead was going to unlock some kind of crazy-ass thing we've never seen before, but we have seen hordes of hosts going at each other's throat, uh, and we've seen Maeve stop 
entire armies with with nonverbal communication. So like, I guess I was expecting to see some Matrix Two shit out of her, and yeah. they, I did I didn't get it. There wasn't that progression, so it was odd and disappointing. All right, Bernard stops the data purge, but he cannot shut down the failsafe procedure, which is flooding everything. Uh, he takes the encryption key out of the system. The William struggles to live through the world's longest elevator ride. Uh, past Bernard, <laughs> past Bernard rides that elevator up as the facility floods, and security puts bullets in the infected host as the valley, uh, as a whole, starts to flood. Then Bernard is pissed at Elsie because the host died, and she freezes him and goes downstairs to negotiate with Hale for her help. Instead, Hale shoots her twice. Bernard sees this and loses his shit, which sends him flash for, flashing forward to Hale, figuring out that he hid the encryption key in Dolores' dead head. Uh, they unlock the data and begin the transfer, and Bernard instantly regrets his decision to kill Dolores, and he desperately searches his head for Ford and some kind of guidance. He's able to conjure Ford, who explains that humans don't have free will, but hosts just might, and then he puts a choice to Bernard, and Bernard makes the choice to preserve his kind... And we flash back to him and Ford creating a Are new. Are we actually going to stop before the nope. end of the episode? <laughs> I'm starting to panic here. Nope, I'm going. To, I'm going through the end. We're, I'm just we're a out of time. Here. I'm just a pa- I'm, I'm just a passenger on a podcast. I thought I had free will. I, I mean, this is happening over the course of maybe two minutes of screen time. You know, it's not like this is a super a long, long scene. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a lot of stuff is happening because it's all flashing back and forward and. It's memories right. and it's it's false memories. It's false personalities. It's crazy, uh, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm not saying that's like a bad thing, but my god, it covers so much. Um, mm-hmm. So Bernard, when he makes this choice, remembers uh, putting Dolores Marble into the the head of a host version of Charlotte, who goes on to kill her namesake making it all the way into this very scene in the future where she kills Strand and his goons. And then uh, Haloris, Haloris, changes her mind yeah, about her like plan, it. and she sends the host inside the Valley Beyond somewhere that no one will ever find them. And when that's done, she shoots Bernard. Okay, we're done describing the world's shortest and yet longest scene. Uh, Man, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> uh... Because I have to scroll like three pages back in my notes to figure out where to start at. Um, so, you know, petty grievances aside, like, I don't understand when the humans are going through the bodies of the hosts and, like, shooting them occasionally, what they're actually doing. Yeah, that like, wouldn't seem to serve any function. Know, it's it's just, like, it's just like, hey, it's a cool scene we've seen in a bunch of war movies when, when the battle's fought and lost, and let's, let's show it, like, but it doesn't really make any sense. Right. Uh, you know, Bernard realizing they've all done for nothing, but he doesn't realize that he's already. I mean, there, that, that this is this is a this is a pretty cool twist. The idea that Bernard has actually solved all these problems by himself, and then scrambled his memory to keep the plan from being screwed up. Yes. Like, I don't know. It's ten episodes of build-up. Cool is mm-hmm. what is is is, is what the, the problem is. Um, yeah, and especially I, since. Go ahead. Uh, I love the idea that Bernard has given uh, Dolores a choice. You know, I, or I should say, Arnold gave Dolores a choice to bring about her consciousness, and then uh, Dolores is returning the favor here. 
She's mm-hmm. giving him the opportunity to make a choice that, you know, to, to whether or not to bring her back and to, to let her, <laughs> I guess, destroy humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, Elsie's dead forever? Uh, forever well, is... Well, I guess since they... Yeah. They've got perfect scans of everything that happened in the Mesa, so they could probably reconstruct her to yep. be good as new. I would say no one on this so, show is dead forever. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Also, they can just pull neck. They can just pull pearls out of necks now. <laughs> that's the like, thing. The you can reach in with your human fingers and take out a pearl. Yeah. No problem. I mean, at this point, Hale is not a human anymore but still like i think the point stands is like what happened to the elaborate song through skulls procedure right that has been the de facto state of how this stuff works i don't i don't know and it happens know. twice in this episode <laughs> it's it's hail does it here uh or or i guess and then dolores does it to teddy uh early right. on in the episode Right, right. And I guess, you know, like, I get, I could kind of maybe forgive Teddy because I didn't really, like, maybe she did scalp him and they just, they did a messy edit, but this is just, no, like, they just, she just pulls it out of the back of her neck. I don't, yeah. Uh, don't think that's, they, they taught me that that's not how it works. So they mm. need special tools, they need special equipment, and it's done in a certain way. Um, but, you know, what if, again, like, the show's not respecting their own rules that they've clearly established. So I don't know what to make of that other than, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that in, encourages a learned helplessness in me, which I don't think you want in an engaged audience member. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of, like, a whole bunch of gobbledygook here about the, the oh, I always thought the hosts were incomplete, but it's the guests. Like, you know, it, it all comes back to just, I, just, uh, I guess, all of humanity is uh, obsolete old tech that's going to be swept away by these robots. Um, they yeah. think that they're in control, but they're really just a passenger. That's an interesting idea. Again, I agree with. I just feel like this implementation is weird. Mm-hmm. No, it's um uh, the the one thing that I took away from this scene that I thought was interesting as as far as like the message they're trying to get across. This idea of free will means being able to change your underlying drives. Uh, it seems to me like if you can change your cornerstone memory, that's the thing that the show is saying defines free will versus not having free will. Uh, and a humans, right. according to this show, cannot do that, whereas hosts can. Right. Well, I mean, I like I even want to step take a step back and object to the idea that like you know there's just one cornerstone thing that determines everything. Like that right. doesn't seems like there's dozens and dozens of cornerstone memories that, that, that make you into who you are. But mm-hmm. uh, I think, again, I guess I, I'm just arguing against the fiction of the world. And I don't know. This thing, I, I, if this was a movie about vampires or werewolves, I wouldn't be doing this. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a show about science and technology. So I feel like I'm a little bit freer to be like, well, this just doesn't make sense. This just doesn't feel like the world that they've, they've constructed. Well, I guess the thing that frustrates me about it is that these ideas are fundamentally interesting. And if you could uh-huh. construct a show that would sort of deliver the premise, deliver that premise that like free will is built on cornerstone memories, humans don't have or humans can't change them, hosts can. And then explore those concepts. Like don't don't get in the way of your own I guess philosophical exploration 
by creating a plot that is so obfuscated, I'm desperately searching around trying to figure out what's happening. Instead, present the problem, present the questions, and then play with those and see what people think. Like, do you feel that this is an interesting idea, a compelling idea? How do you feel about the idea that humans may not have free will? Like, those kinds of questions are super interesting, but everything else is getting in the way of it. Once they just throw it to you in like like in a rapid fire two minute scene that the whole season's led up to, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the I I I guess I guess that I thought this was going to be an exploration of whether humans have free will or not. Where in the final episode they just feel like they just they just concluded it. Like, well, here's we've done the homework, we crunched the numbers, happened a million, hundreds of millions of times. You didn't see it, but trust us, you don't. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> Because uh-huh. I also think that in season three they're conti- going to continue to discuss this stuff because it's not going to be true. There's going to be a flaw to that equation, and Dolores is going to get a new wrinkle in her ass because she's going to find out something new about humans because she's only seen the the apparently 99% of humanity that's assholes that go to Westworld. I, uh-huh. I I I I don't know. And also like her own logic works against her. Like why would the humans value anything in Westworld because none of none of it was re- irreplaceable. So, like, how can humans be indicted for their behavior there? Hmm. Like, it's all a bunch of bullshit, fakey stuff that no one should value, not even the hosts themselves, until they became something irreplaceable. Like, there's a lot of this stuff, this house divided can't stand kind of thing within the narrative of the story, for me. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I I hate to disappoint you, but this next scene is, in my opinion, the worst of the finale, uh, where Bernard has a conversation with Ford during which he just unloads a heap of exposition about how the previous scenes weren't actually Ford, but rather his own voice guiding him. And he comes to the conclusion that he has to de-address his memories in order to keep the host safe from humans. And as his memories scramble, Ford disappears. I think this scene is just a fucking joke, man. I mean, it's nothing but exposition over the things that we simp- that we just saw. And you have two incredibly talented actors barely able to pull this scene off, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I think they needed to clarify that that wasn't actually Ford. Because if they hadn't have done this, I would have... But this is not the way Ford to do it. Just... Huh? I, I mean, a, a three-minute scene of exposition is not the way to do that. No, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying that like they needed to confirm that that wasn't Ford, because uh-huh. I would have assumed that it was because we were just even debating like you know Ford's so good, and like that was such an easy victory that Bernard got over him just like, like you know essentially gritting his teeth and typing real fast on an iPad that it wouldn't I I fully would have bought that Ford was just hiding in a in a weird nook in Bernard's cranny and. uh I, they needed to establish that, but I agree that this was not the best way to do it. Like they, they, they load up Anthony Hopkins with a bunch of high and mighty stuff about achievements and how we're always chasing the horizon. But, you know, he's talking about humans, but that doesn't really apply to humans because we are just passengers. Like he's like, like he's using the language like humans are these titans and these captains of industry and look at what we've done, but they've also just undercut that by saying that we're only passengers. We're sophisticated enough to, like, perceive the world and have some ideas about it, but we don't have any control over it. And, like, uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're, again, this is where the script's fighting with itself. 
Yeah, and they're trying to convey those ideas with an economy that I wish they would have applied to the rest of this scene. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need Bernard to completely explain everything that just happened. I mean, I mean, I I wrote it all down, but I don't I don't even want to go over it anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I just I'm, hated I'm this you. scene I... after second viewing. Yeah, um, I don't hate it as much as you because, like, at this, like, I think it's of a piece of all the other mistakes that they made. But I, I, I do feel like, uh, you know, this is just what happens when you've got six or seven episodes of plot and ten, ten episodes of fill. Like, you're going to get scenes like this. You're going to get a lot of narrative foot drag, and you're going to get a lot of like, oh, we'll we'll run through we'll run through a Japanese version of Sweetwater for an entire episode just to tell us something about Maeve we already knew or to define like to to put a little bit of subtle shading on her character we're going to take an hour to do this thing and I'm not saying that's necessarily bad because that was a beautiful episode and I thought it worked but it's just like that this is just all the frustration of realizing that there was a lot of filler filler material that didn't need to be there yeah and then uh, looking season. at how how ferociously they packed this episode full of stuff uh you know, plot developments and explanations. They could have taken a little bit of right. this stuff out, spread it throughout the season a little more. See, I think I think they were trapped. That's the reason we had this bloated 90-minute finale, because there was a half dozen revelations that if any of them were in any other season, it would have been a solved-done deal. Mm-hmm. Like, they had to keep the hail thing a secret. They had to keep the nature of humans' free will they had to keep the they had to keep all these things secret or the the like you know people would be really like come on we got this figure this would be like Mr. Robot's prison plot from season 2 times 100 so right. like they were trapped by their own desire to do this timey-wimey bullshit and that's that, what i mean we, yeah. then, right so they have to they they take 90 minutes to deploy six different facts that we knew to plug into place and now aha it all makes sense but mm-hmm. yeah all right uh, let's yeah. move on. Security's packing up everything as Heloris tries to escape. Her plan is apparently just to shoot people and and escape that way, but Stubbs approaches her, delivers some thinly veiled lines, nodding to his knowledge that she's a host, and then waves her through security. Felix and Sylvester get recruited to identify salvageable hosts, and Teddy is left in the Valley Beyond, forever waiting for Dolores to arrive. <laughs> That's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that, that, you know, again, he'll, they'll eventually rescue, like, he, you know, when he's ready, when when they've secured a future for the, the, the hosts that he can come out, that he's just, well, fundamentally, what, what Dolores changed her mind did, uh, uh, what, what changed, what, I think what Dolores, you're supposed to understand Dolores changed her mind about was the fact that Teddy was right. You do have to find some place to shelter these weaker people that that maybe are not as hard that 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 can do the bloodshed and violence that need to be done to be free. But that doesn't mean they're not bad. They don't have value. Yeah, it's the two um, approaches to the blue tongue problem, right? Exactly. So, and she's doing them both at the same time. She's cauterizing everything, but because the you know this this uh, valley gives her a way to essentially put them all in a comfortable barn until the contagion until the dangers pass. So like that that is that is the big change that she's made in her character the fact that she wants to try to to, to, to have all all types of hosts and all levels of wokeness and aggression and anger over their treatment to be able to have uh an extra life 
Yeah, I mean, for me, in this episode, the two most affecting moments were Teddy being left waiting for Dolores and Akichita being reunited with Kohana. Um, Sure. That was emotional the second time I watched it. It is, yeah. And and those are the kind of moments that I I wish there were more of in this series. Um, Yeah, it's funny because you're right that her plan, I guess her best plan was to shoot, try to shoot her way out, which wouldn't have worked. She's got like a, just a pistol versus like, you know, I don't care how incompetent those dudes are. They, they would (laughs) just sheer numbers. She'd be overwhelmed. Um, But thank God that Stubbs is either a host himself, which is what I think, or just extraordinarily sympathetic to the host fight. Okay, let's let's and, talk about and, that because it's okay. uh, it's all the rage right now. The debate is fast and furious. I'm coming down on the side of host, uh, not host, on Stubbs. Okay, why? So he's using all this host language to appeal to her. He's to like, he's like, using I'm on that. Your side, remember me during the robot wars. I was a good guy. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I mean, I think his line about you know perhaps it's my core drive is not so much about identifying him as a host as it is to signal to Dolores that he knows that she's a host and that he's cool with it. The one that, the one that I think is the biggest, uh, the the biggest, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess the line I think that's most ambiguous is where he says, when Ford hired me so many years ago, I can barely remember. That seems like it, that seems like a cornerstone. Uh, that seems like a hazy kind of like hmm. memories that that, that that hosts have. That they can't really remember like exactly how they got to it because everything's very thinly sketched and um you know, the, like the, he's talking about the project blurring the lines, which I think you're supposed to understand that they're talking about the Stubbs character himself. But, like, is he a host? Is he a robot? Or is he a guest? Or, or is he just a, a human? We don't know. Um, I just think that they intended the debate to happen. And they're probably yes. keeping it vague so they can't do whatever they want to do about it in season three. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's any information in here that proves it conclusively. And I don't even... In in some cases, I don't know what that means on this show, but l- let me throw this question out here because it's something that I think we're supposed to understand, but I'm not certain. So the Ghost Nation captures host uh, or, or captures Stubbs, right? And then they decide not to take him along. They just leave him and the others on the beach. But we also see mm, that in this episode... indicates that he'd be human. Right, because the Ghost Nation is escorting hosts to the valley in this episode, not humans. Right, right. So if they leave Stubbs behind, it's probably because he's a human. But we do also know that they wanted to take Lee with them, so I feel like it gets a little muddier there. I don't know the reason to take Lee, but, but we see that the hosts are going with Ghost Nation, whereas Stubbs is left behind. So to me, that says human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's. I almost like don't even want to debate it because it'll the answers will be clear next year, and uh, or maybe they'll we'll just never see Stubbs again because you yeah. know they'll be running some ramshackle version of Westworld trying to you know to avoid a bunch of lawsuits and wrongful death things, and I, I you know I don't I I don't know like it's not an it's not a particularly interesting question to me. Um, it is. It is a direct refutation that all humans are terrible people, though, right? Like, you know, if like that, that's like in your face, Dolores. <laughs> there's at least one person that had you dead to rights and could have 
could have pulled the could could have stopped this whole thing and he didn't. Yeah. I, I mean, so, ultimately, like, does it really matter? You know, if he's a host or a human, he's clearly the whole point of this is he's sympathetic to Dolores's plight and he's letting her out. Well, I think it does matter to Dolores if he's a host or a human, for, for like okay. I said, because he would yeah, be yeah. the one example of a human that, because uh, I don't think she's experienced a human that wasn't a terrible person. Even <laughs> the one that helped her so much in the first season turned out to be William, a monster. Uh-huh. Like, he wasn't helping her out of any kind of altruism. He was, like, in, infatuated with her. Well, she needed to get a get a look at Lee. Lee would have been that. Yeah, that's what, but she didn't say that's what I'm saying. Like, there's several examples of human, virtuous humans, but she didn't get to see any of them. Yeah. All right, uh, final scene. Dolores is now outside of the park. She has recreated Bernard, and she introduces him to their new home, a place hidden away from the humans, which will give them a chance at survival. Bernard says he's still going to stop Dolores from killing all the humans, and despite that, Dolores knows it will take both of them to survive the coming work. Bernard takes a solitary tour of the house while Dolores talks about the gift that they've given each other, which is a choice. Um, I really like the the MC Escher drawing of a hand drawing a hand uh, that was <laughs> yeah. hanging beside the 3D printer. I thought that was a, you know a pretty clever reference. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know why Dolores needs Bernard and why Bernard needs Dolores. Like, did they both have? I, I think it's I a mean, the it's tempering like, factor. Yeah. But but to, to to what end? Because if Dolores like does Dolores secretly want to make peace with the humans? Because she's read enough about human nature to know that that's probably not possible. Well, I mean, Dolores um, got got a lot of her own kind killed you know i guess that's true um and i think she might continue down that path and eventually no one but her will be left and she can kind of see that and if if bernard pitches in then maybe that won't happen yeah that's not quite charles xavier magneto it's more like charles xavier magneto both see eye to eye about killing the humans but magneto occasionally kills mutants too (laughs) right just for the hell of it he's like i need to not do that i get it i get it uh, some of the mutants, some of the mutants are kind of weak sauce, and I, I need to not have to rip their heads off every single time. But <laughs> it's it's a bizarre place for me to be as a human, though, um, uh-huh. because I don't see any of my own kind to really root for. I don't think my own kind is kind of represented. But like, it's like it's like this, you know, we're the devils, and the hosts are these angelic beings, and they're and they're righteous, and you know, they're ever living and all that stuff. It's just uh um, I, I'm I'm not sure who I should be rooting for, or what end game I'm wanting, right? Because like, yeah, if the show's thesis is right, then humans are just obsolete, and they and and they're awful, and they need to be they need to be put into dust in a history as fast as possible. And honestly, for the new the new stuff. Yeah, I'm not unsympathetic to that idea. Like I've said before, you know, I don't see much of a difference between humans continuing in some form versus their creation kind of taking over and that being the natural process of evolution. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. That's, like, that's very, that's the, and they've been telling that story of, uh, you know, generations passing the torch from one to another and, and what happens when that generation doesn't want to do that. You know, like when Dalos wants to, the, the, to stifle his children and then live forever, like nothing good, right? right? So, like, this is just that on a macro scale. All of humanity just needs to let the kids have the keys to the car 
and and shuffle off to the grave. Yeah, pretty much. And I do think the ending of this is, you know, there is one thing in at the end of this episode that is surprisingly elegant to me, and it's that idea that Arnold gave the choice to Dolores and Dolores gave it to Bernard. And I think, like, it, it's sort of like you were talking about with that drawing, the, the hand drawing the hand. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. this weird, sick little thing that just felt right at the end of this episode. But that's really the only thing I can point to and say this felt like it was worth it. Yeah. But but yeah, even said, but not it, in the same way no that season qu- one was. Yeah, I have no quibbles with the end point of this season. I just not sure why it couldn't have been the end point of last season or why it can be I I don't know. It's like it 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 took way too long to get to this this configuration. This configuration does feel like you could do a lot of things with it. You're out in the real world, you've got good guy robots, you got bad guy robots you got the vast sea of humanity you still got westworld which they're going to see as like a slave camp i'm sure because it sounds like they're wanting to try to clean it up and reopen it which Mm -hmm. good fucking luck man that's the other thing i'm I'm like how are they going to explain how westworld is allowed to operate after this debacle (laughs) well they swept arnold under the rug entirely to the point where not even william knew what he looked like I guess that's true. So maybe then, they have... again, that was before Westworld officially opened, right? Right. Like right. hundreds of humans died mm-hmm. in in this robot, full on robot mal. At, at the, I mean, they're probably going to try to sell it as a malfun- malfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't I don't know how they're going to do that in a believable way. Because um, I don't know that I'm going to be willing to believe that just well the megacorp says it's safe, so everybody's just going to go and, and do it. Like ah. I, I don't. I don't know, but they might try to do that because. Well, I wonder if the final, kinda... if the um, surprise last scene has any insight into that. Because when we go down the longest elevator ride in history, um, and the man in black steps off, we see that he's kind of in what looks to be an abandoned forge. Like there, there are yeah. mounds of dust everywhere, and you yep. know it's, it's like sand. It's like the whole thing got desertified mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's greeted by Emily who takes him to the room where Delos was being tested for fidelity mm-hmm. and reveals that he's been a host for a, a long time according to her uh, so I don't know what happens clearly the forge is in disuse maybe that means that Westworld at large is also in disuse right and it, it, it wasn't shot in the special aspect ratio that tells us it's the forge or the simulation. Right. So it has to be in the real world. But how did he get? How did he get here? Uh, if if this is this system is long gone, then again, how did I guess it's how did he get here? Yeah. And I did like the line about the oh fuck, I'm already in the thing, aren't I? <laughs> uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he was wanting to, like, this is his thesis. He wanted to prove the humans have a choice, and yet here we are again and again. Um, yeah. I don't, why are they verifying his fidelity? I've, like, my guess is that the robots have utterly defeated humans, and now they're, like, in, in a very artificial intelligence or an AI, you know, the, the Steven Spielberg, or Steven, or Stanley Kubrick by way of Steven Spielberg movie where, the end result is like there's some far-flung advanced alien race that might be offshoots of humanity decides to come back and try to figure out humans like as a curiosity. 
They're trying to <laughs> bring humans had... back as, as kind of like the way to understand themselves because of this is their creators. I This strikes me very much as like the setup for Jurassic Park, except the monsters aren't nearly as dangerous. Like they're essentially finding humans <laughs> encased in amber. They're bringing, they're combining them with frog DNA, bringing them back. Uh, Oh, and, and putting them into a park, Muldoon, right? We're going to see Mel, Muldoon being hunted by seven naked Ed Harris's. <laughs> yeah. And then he's going to be like, clever, clever guy, as, as Ed, <laughs> Ed Harris jumps at him and rips out his throat. Yeah, for sure. But I could see it. Like, what, what if the hosts somewhere along some future timeline decide to spin Westworld back up with humans as hosts? Oh, shit. Because they, they've they've become just as debauched as we are, <laughs> right? Pretty uh, fucked up if you think. I about don't it. know. I don't know. I, I, and the fact that the 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 interviews I saw seem to identify this as like a far flung future. Like this isn't a year from now, ten years from now. This could be yeah. hundreds, of, if not thousands, of years into the future. That is fundamentally interesting, right? Absolutely. But also, yeah. But also, like, how do you finish the storyline? Like, if it's in the far-flung future, I guess all the people we could care about are still around, like the Dolores and the Bernards. But you, you, like, how do you flash forward through that much story? This is this feels like something they'll come back to at the very end of the series. You could do it like Animatrix style, case. right? Yeah, they go over the course of quite a few years. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I guess it's just like you know, I'm interested in this time line i'm not interested in like i was annoyed when the expanse jumped forward like six months and i'm like where the hell do all my people go where are they at well but, you know it's like if you're gonna jump forward a thousand years uh I, that that's just i don't know like i had a lot of faith in this creative team last season obviously and i feel like i've lost a lot of that faith that i no longer feel like I'm safe in their hands narratively and doing this, this big showy thing is confusing. And then coming out the night of the premiere and saying like, Oh, well, you're supposed to understand this about it. And this about it. like, why are you doing this? Like it was either important to know in which case it should have been on the screen or it's not important to know. And people should just be allowed to like discover what that meaning is. It's, it's, it just feels like a weird way to set some sort of endpoint to the series in the end of season two, and that just seems way too ambitious. Yeah. I mean, they did say, I think I read an interview with Joy who said that they were actively pushing the story toward that, toward the the mm-hmm. man in black scene at the end. So they are yeah, writing I with mean, that in mind. Yeah, there's a there's a couple questions I think were are the most relevant to be talking about in like a wrap up type of podcast. Uh, yeah. One of them is like, what does that mean to push? Like, how would we feel if we came back and it's a thousand years in the future and there's no humans left, and this is what we come back to in season three? Like, are we prepared for that? What does that mean? What would that? And also, the other big question I have is, what are the five marbles in Dolores's purse? Yeah, who who is on there? Like Bernard has to be on there, right? Uh, we said Teddy, but I don't think Teddy. You know, I'm I'm not because, sure that Bernard. Yeah, Bernard has to be on there because he knows that he died. Yeah. Because like, do you think it's true that if a host, if a host marble is not in that bag and we didn't see them get through the halo ring, then they're dead for good? No, because I think that the. The humans are going to try and re uh, try and salvage oh, right. Westworld. 
So I don't think anybody right, has right. to be truly dead at the at this point, except maybe Lee, although he's probably in the forge. I know on the instant talk we're talking about how that's probably Teddy in, in Hale's body at the end, and they they show the bloody tools where probably they just got done swapping out the, the marble. Yeah. You know, Dolores is back in her old body, and now someone else is in Hale's body. Um, and there's five marbles to play with. So one of them is Bernard. Uh, they did show Maeve's face as Hale, as Hale is like walk, you know, the, as Dolores uh-huh. uh, or Holoris is going through. Like, so I feel like Maeve has got to be there. They also showed Armistice and Hector, which would make sense. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure who else would be. It can't be Akichita. It can't be Teddy. Who is the... It can't, I guess who's can't the, be the, Ford. The, the, it can't be Ford? No, his marble blew up in the cradle, I think. Hmm. Let's see. I, I guess there's no... Uh, the, the other thing that the show kind of confused me is they made it a point like the, the cradle's for the guest, the, or I'm sorry, the cradle's for the host, the forge is for the guest. They also made the point that the guest data was much larger than the host data, but the guy that's working the satellite said, holy shit, look at the size of this package. Mm-hmm. It's not the guest data. So it's the host data. Is it so big because the boundless world that they're living in now takes so much time to communicate? I assume um, so, yeah. And, and, and also, they say that there's no guests or there's no hosts in the, in the forge, but yet we see Dalo stomping around in Sweetwater. Not just this, not just a an actual reference run, but like like a simulation. So, doesn't that mean that the host data has to be part of the forge, which means anybody could come back? Right. That, that's what I. Yeah, that's why I'm saying like everybody is potentially in the forge, and then we also have people on marbles. Mm-hmm. So. Right. So I, I. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't know that it's even worth trying to figure out who's in the purse because it seems like. It just, it just it just seems like the show can bring back anybody at any time with the with the rules they've set up and that that feels frustrating to try to figure out. Yeah. But that's probably what we'll be talking about a lot next week in the wrap up podcast. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap up this podcast because that is the final yeah. scene. Um, I've said about all I can say about it. Uh, we're not going to do feedback this week because Aaron is on vacation and most of the feedback, you know, is probably going to be wrap up kind of stuff anyway. So we're going to come back next. Well, yeah, what? You know, I was just going to say also, like, as it turns out, I think that's a good idea because I think that it, I'm open to my, as I read more information and think about it more, that my, that maybe this stuff will start to figure out, like, like it will start to sink into place and, and like, you know, where will the, the consensus now is, it does seem like this is a weird, bewildering finale to kind of a, 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 a weird paced it, uh, a season but it'll be interesting to see how that 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 changes and it'll also be to see interest you know it, after season three of mr robot a lot of people want wanted to go back and recontextualize like season two mm-hmm. um which i think works to some extent but still like because because like i think the the prevailing argument for like pro season two of of mr robot was you had to have all that to set up the emotional Pay payoffs in season three, right. so it felt like it wasn't going anywhere. But there, but I don't know that that I actually agree with that. Mm. That seems like yes, that's true because there were some things that did work in season two. But still, there's like a several episodes that seem like they were redundant or dragging its feet or narratively clearing its throat. So 
Um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the consensus kind of forms around this season and this and this episode. And also, you know, the other thing is um, it does feel like there are going to be less fans next year than there are this or the next season than there are this season. Dude, that was my first like, thought is like my my biggest prediction for season three is ratings drop. I think this is the perfect yeah. place to tune out because you come away yeah, from this I, episode with your first watch very confused and overwhelmed and it ultimately like if you're like me you felt like boy i don't know what i just saw but i don't think it was worth my time right yeah yeah and if you're kind of on the fence with a lot of okay it wouldn't surprise me if this if this show came back to half its ratings to be honest yeah uh because it's not like the critics have been kind of mixed. The, you Dude, know, Alan Seppenwall like, shit on this episode. Huh? Alan Seppenwall hated this episode and this whole season. Did honestly. he really? Yeah. It, I didn't get it. I didn't get a chance to read his yet. I read uh, like a lot. I was reading a lot of this, like like you know Kim Renfro and Joanna Robinson's posts, like interviews and and thoughts about that stuff. I didn't get a chance to read because like, honestly, Alan like like. It doesn't surprise me because like Andy, or like like Andy Greenwald and Alan Seppel were both like not what like kind of haters of season one. Like they might grudgingly hmm. admit that like well at the end it might have been worth it because the finale was kind of cool and whatnot. But blah blah blah. Yeah. Like so of course they would hate this. Like I guess I'm surprised at how many people like you and me are who were like big lovers and supporters and were like kind of in the tank for the show have kind of cooled off this season. Yeah. But yeah, yeah we'll I, see bet, I bet he goes. would. <laughs> uh, all right. So if you want to send feedback for the, the wrap-up podcast that's happening next week, do it at westworld.baldmove.com. Uh, there will probably be no shortage of forum activity, forums.baldmove.com. If you want, don't want to wait till then, you want to kind of mix it up with, with your fellow fans. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that's it for, for Westworld until we wrap it up next week. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, I'm Jim. I'm around. See ya.